Okay, welcome back to the podcast, Humor Absurd with Sully Man Third. Yep, here to entertain you once again. Um, and those, again, for unfamiliar with the show, my segments are based off my new collection of humor short stories I've collected over the past 40 years entitled Happy New Millennium, which is currently out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Ex Libris, and a million other places that you can go look for it. Um, this one is going to be focused on a chapter entitled Miscasting Call in Hollywood. And it's um, focused on the film industry and... Um, which ties together very nicely with a special guest that we will be having shortly, um, who is the former music and current film critic, Rayford Guzman from the New York Metro newspaper Newsday. I've known Rayford for some time now, and very insightful. He's been at the paper um, for almost two decades and very well-respected, and has some great insights um, into the entertainment world at large. And I believe the first time that we kind of came in contact with was something related to my first podcast, um, the Rock and Roll uh, Fantasy Camp. And he actually did um, a clip of that uh, for his newspaper, and since then we've been friends, so um, I'm happy to have him on here. Um, you know, the film industry is a lot like very various other aspects of the entertainment industry. Um, it's just a lot of craziness, a lot of unpredictability, a lot of don't know what's going to work until all of a sudden it works and then you're happy and then it doesn't work and then it works again and back and forth. I decided um, for some reason um, uh, at the uh, my mid-30s to give it a shot and I was <laughs> given such a wake-up call I have no idea what was going on when I headed out to Los Angeles. Without further ado, let me give you a taste of what is inside my book. I didn't want to be friggin' poor, but somehow four months of acting class had given me this weird confidence that landing a co-lead role with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep was somehow not out of reach. So I booked a flight out to L.A. with my uncomfortable-looking headshots, and before I knew it, there I was, right there in the showcase mix, with 187 other wannabe actors drinking the same strange-tasting Kool-Aid they love to serve in Hollyweird. Seeing the intense energy running through the hotel lobby, I discovered most of my competition was at least two decades younger than me. That got me a little concerned. What took me so long to realize making a start in film was geared mostly for the young at heart? But wouldn't it have been nice for my acting coach back in the Big Apple to have brought this rather important detail up? 
Day one was overloaded with appropriate yet absurd information seminars, such as, so you want to be an actor, the L.A. rental market, followed by a panel with weird-looking agents handing out multicolored sheets about voiceover lessons, private coaching, and other services, focused mostly on increasing my personal debt before uttering a single word on celluloid. At least now I knew which Hollywood folks. It was the small business film enablers that were always picking up a weekly paycheck. It's... It is probably as bad as the music industry. I'm not sure, but it's it certainly in 2020 has, has not gotten easier. Um, you know, like the music industry, the film industry had to shut down. And but I will say this: I would not um, not have given it a try. I mean, it was something I've always wanted to do. Just to see myself on screen, um, see if I can tell a story using my emotions and my feelings and my experiences. Um, but um, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> um, everything and everything that you have read that is bad and horrible in the industry, um, I kind of experienced out there in one weekend. Um, but when you're putting a short story book together like I am, it's there's a lot of comedy elements to it. So, um, But I have several questions I want to ask him, and hopefully he'll have some, some good insights. Um, go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and look for Happy New Millennium with Sully Man the Third. How it goes? It goes. It goes, and I've got pandemic, you. Another pandemic Thursday. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm happy to have you on here, and uh, yeah, I mean we've been we've been friends. I was doing a little preamble before you got on. Um, we've been friends for um, a long time now, since I think we first kind of came into contact back 2003. So it's been almost. Almost the entire time you've been at Newsday. For the rock and roll, uh, yeah, the rock the, camp, right? Right. <laughs> my, 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 my glory days of thinking I was Roger Daltrey, and then four days later, I was back slinging hash into the financial services industry. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes, man. Yeah, easy, easy come, easy go. So, um, and I was telling them, I said, you know, now that you've moved into the music I moved away from the music and now you're into the film space um, yeah. I, I mean I, I have to tell you I mean it's got it's got to be nearly impossible to, to create as an actor in 2020 I mean the film production companies are fighting to stay afloat and you know the movie houses right. have been closed so I mean so I have to ask you uh, what are you doing with your time as a film critic with all this nothing if you don't mind me asking <laughs> I'm talking to you, John. I'm sitting here on your podcast. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> but, but, but. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's nuts. I mean, you know, there's, what, what have I been doing? Uh, so I've been keeping track of the uh, Christopher Nolan uh, Disney Plus horse race while that was going on. It's neck and neck. It's Tenet. It's Tenet out front. It's, Mul you know, Mulan coming up from the rear. It's Tenet. It's Mulan. <laughs> keeping track of that. 
Um, then, you know, keeping track, you know, more depressingly, keeping track of, you know, all the little theaters uh, in our area and Long Islanders that are struggling and trying to stay open and lobbying Cuomo to, you know, get them to reopen. Um, trying to keep up with uh, streaming content, um, you know, of which there is some, and some of it is good, most of it's not, but it's it's out there. And I mean movies, you know, we have a, we have a TV critic who, who does episodic television. I'm talking more about documentaries and standalone, you know, standalone films. You know, right. Films. Um, and then, you know, trying to... Trying to just pull stuff out of my hat, to use a, <laughs> to use a family-friendly phrase, um, and you know, come up with ideas. You know, revisit old classic summer movies like Clueless and you know Caddyshack and and Back to the Future, and you know, see how those things stand up. Um, it's funny you should you know, s- just all kinds of stuff. It's funny you should say that so much. There's been a lot of talk, and I uh, I saw an article, I believe it was in Rolling Stone, my daughter and I sat together and watched Almost Famous. And, oh, yeah, sure. And the thing about this 20-year anniversary is it really, I mean, Cameron Crowe really hit it out of the park in that he really tapped into that into that 70s zone of music, and, you know, that's really... Yeah. That's really when I started discovering music at that point, and it was weird sitting next to my daughter. I felt like I was this giant Mr. Footnote. So as we're watching, <laughs> as we're watching, and she sees something, and I would go, okay, da 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 da, da. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then we would watch five minutes, and then something would happen. I would go, okay, well, da 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 okay. <laughs> so then about halfway through the movie, there was something... That my twenty-one-year-old uh, senior at uh, in college, I was about to give her a little update. She goes, "I know what that is." <laughs> <laughs> I heard of the Beatles. Dad. Well, it was it was a little more on the uh, on the uh, on the down low, as they say, on the off the radar see, screen. And um, I wish it was something as easy as the Beatles. Um, but anyway, but it was it was a. That's what we did too. We kind of rediscovered some things like that, and um, which actually, which just got me thinking about something. And so, I don't know if you got a chance to read the chapter that I sent. Um, Yes, I certainly did. Okay, so you read you so my adventure of trying to get into film at the ridiculous age of thirty-seven. So um, you know, which you know, but I remember Rodney Dangerfield stopped selling. Aluminum siding in his late thirties, he decided to give it a shot. Had a little more success yeah. than I did, but I wanted to ask you: How did you get involved initially in this whole, you know, music film or kind of entertainment world back in the day? How how did you? Why was this an area of your interest? And kind of, I mean, did you start out as being involved in this, or was there something prior to this? I mean, listen, writing about music and movies is almost literally the only thing I'm qualified to do. It was, it was, it was, it was that or bust, man. Um, you know, and it's, and, you know, rock critic, especially, you know, what, did you do know, this right out of college? But, did you, were you? No, 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 no. I spent, I spent a, I spent a good four or five years, uh, after college doing, uh, now that I think of it, I can't really remember what the hell I was doing for about five years after college. <laughs> uh, really and truly just kind of nothing, a lot of nothing, a lot of, 
lot of sitting around, a lot of drinking, a lot of going out. Um, so, so you were prepping, you were prepping yourself for the music industry. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's right. I should have want to see what I should have done is gone into A and R. You know, no, I just I did a lot of nothing, and I was kind of at loose ends, and I just had no idea what I was doing, and I just, uh, you know, the the shorter version of the story is I just started freelancing. Um, mm. You know, and there was. There was just nothing else I knew how to write about uh, except for uh, m- movies and music because that's what I'd grown up thinking about uh, right. all my life. Um, and so, you know, uh, like you, can, you know, you can go to college for film studies, and you can, you know, you can get a PhD in, in in film theory and film studies and that kind of stuff. And you, but you know, for for rock and roll, I mean, there's no. You know, um, there's there's no degree in it, as far as I know, um, and it's just the kind of thing you pick up and you think about, and it's it's either, you know, it's the kind of thing you either bother to think about or you don't, you know. And some right. people are just casual fans, and some people actually care who produced that album, and some people actually read the liner notes. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a liner notes guy. Yeah, of course, right? You know, if you're a rock head and a music head and a record head, right. then, then that's that's the kind of person you are, and and so you come into it with a giant body of knowledge that, you know, most other people your age just aren't ever going to be able to match, really. Right. Um, Because you you build up that knowledge from the age of 14 on or whatever, right? So that's just, that's, those are my credentials, reading the liner notes, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's, so, so knowing that, I mean, people don't watch movies now like they did, you know, back you know, at least when I was a kid in the 1970s, where there was a lot more, you know, structure in, um, in in the movie biz. You know, I mean, is the film industry you think going the way um, of the music industry, and in that like those traditional avenues or channels are going away, or is there maybe something else at work that that um, we haven't seen yet? I have to think that on a on a slower curve it's going to go the same way as the vinyl record. Um, you know, I hate, I hate to say that because, you know, uh, vinyl broke my heart and then rock and roll in general broke my heart. You know, they, they, they both vanished. And then now here, you know, now here the, the movies are, you know, I think I wouldn't exactly say on the way down, because if you look at, if you look at box office, you know, year by year, um, it's held pretty steady for a long time. Um, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but right. and I'm not just talking about you know with the with ticket sales rising, which certainly helps. But if you really if you look at the numbers, um, uh, um, unless it's a giant Ponzi scheme, if you look at the numbers, it's you know it's roughly the same amount of people are buying tickets year over year since like the 80s or something. It hasn't dropped dramatically. You know, it goes up a little bit, it goes down a little bit. Um, I'm always a little bit stunned to see that figure every year because. When I talk to people, as I'm sure you know, you must have noticed this too, John. But when you talk to people, um, no one really knows what movies are coming out. But they've seen every goddamn television show. They've seen everything on t- on TV. They've seen every documentary, right. they've seen every comedy special. They've seen every episode of Breaking Bad, and they've seen every episode of Stranger Things, and Marco Polo, and Game of Thrones, and God knows what. Right. Um, right. But and then you talk about a movie and they say, "Oh, is that when is that coming out?" And you'll have to say, "Like it's out, it's out right now." Hmm. And you know, pe- people don't people don't know. Um, you know, the average the average American goes to see something like six movies a year. 
And even that almost seems a little high to me when I talk to people. Um, they don't know what's going on. And so it, it makes me wonder if there's some kind of there's some kind of disconnect. It's like the it's like the polls that said Trump was going to lose or something. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, everyone's saying that the, well, you know, the numbers are okay, but when you but when you think about the reality, you talk to people, you go, "How can that be? I don't get it." A word I've seen a lot, and I think it's my favorite word in the pa- pandemic. And I think if I was going to write a book about, it's the word accelerate. And I've seen it in financial services. I've seen it sure. in global. I've seen it everywhere. Accelerate that the pandemic, the global pandemic, has accelerated whatever. And yeah. so I mean, so based on a little bit of what you're saying, I mean, will there be more of a I guess shift towards making just only blockbusters, or do you think maybe they're going to throw small money at dark horse indie films and and spin the wheel? Man, I you know I would have because to you can't have both. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, can, right. but somebody's going to suffer. Right, someone's going to suffer. That's exactly right. No, I think you're probably right in this this idea of things accelerating. Um, you know, it, it, just like we're saying, it, it seems to me like everything's going towards streaming and the pandemic just might accelerate that. Obviously, that depends on what happens, right? right. If there's a vaccine, things bounce back. Six months from now, you know, we're not operating at 25 capacity, but normal. And, you know, maybe things go back to normal for the film industry, maybe. But but will it be more, you think, you think it's going to be more big, big, big films or the small, small, small films? Yeah. I mean that's no. It's going to be. It's, it's got to be big, big, big films. What's going to? What's going to? That's that's been the trend for years, even before streaming. And I personally, I think streaming only exacerbated that. You know what? What is going to get you to get your butt up off the couch where you've got eight million movies and eight million TV series that you haven't completed your binge watch of? You've got nothing but content from 8 million different sources that you're paying for, either in a bundle or separately. It's all just right there mm. at your fingertips, at your couch. What is going to get you off your butt to drive yourself to a theater, pay the money, sit in the theater, spend, what, a total of three-something hours when you add it all up, and spend the 17 bucks per ticket? Is it going to be like a small, thoughtful drama about about a crumbling marriage? Is it is it really going to be a, you know a, a character study of a of a man who's lost his job, or is it going to be freaking Black Widow? Is it going right. to be you know Fast and Furious forty five? Is well, it going to be a Mission Impossible forty? I've had this conversation a little bit. So my all time favorite movie is All the President's Men with. Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman and Jason Robarts and a great supporting cast uh, with Martin Balsam and Jane Alexander. And, you know, it, it, it got me into writing books. It got me into writing, um, trying to write screenplays, rock operas, the whole thing. It it just got me thinking I can, I was a good writer in school. Then I saw the movie and said, wow, you can actually make money doing this. So, um, and that movie was that, you know, about the Watergate break-in, and it was a very, I mean, I think it was just a phenomenal movie, and it came out in 76 at the right time. And now from the other angle, The Post came out with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And yeah. from the from looking from the publisher-owner side of the, of the yeah. of a, more on the Pentagon Papers into Watergate, oh, but it um, didn't have the same impact. 
And uh, it's not that it's not a lot of reasons for that. Right. There are a lot of reasons for that. But I I will say, though, those those movies, the movies like The Post are hard now in this day and age to get those eyeballs and get the interest versus all the president's been back in 76 where we didn't have there was no cable. You know, there was no, you know, and you had the two. Because the parallels I'm making is that Hoffman and Redford are as big as Hanks and Streep, but sure. I, I, but I think, and I hate to say it, if the Post was made back in '76 and all the presidents made was made now, I I think you the results would be the same. I, the, the results would be what what it was that I think everybody would be talking about the Post. And not as many people talking about all the presidents, men. I'm just saying. I mean, I can't predict that for for sure. But and they are different movies. But I just think that yeah. the people's sensibilities are very different now, too. Well, I think I, I think the I think the main the real difference is the fact that um, movies just don't occupy the central place in American and in global culture that they used to. I mean, they were they were at their peak in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, I mean, I guess you could say they were at their peak for a long time before that, obviously, but I mean, really, in the 70s and 80s, you know, once a once a book or an issue or a story of some sort made it to the movie, I mean, right. that was it. It was, it was ultimate exposure. Everybody was talking about it. Right. The movie was the talk of the town. That was going to, that was... That was a movie that was going to shape opinions and form the way people thought about stuff. It was going to cement that actor in that role. It was going to cement whatever that story was in the in the popular imagination forever. You know, the, you know, all the president's men. You know, Woodward and Bernstein will always be Redford and Hoffman now. Right. You know, forever. It's just there's. Movies just don't have that power anymore. Um, there's just too much other stuff out there. There's too right. much social media. There's too much, you know. There's YouTube and 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 every streaming platform. And television's super powerful, but I'm not even sure that television occupies quite that space and has quite that much power to define something the way the movies did back then, you know, I mean, right. if, if, you were, if you were a shark and Jaws <laughs> came out, you were forever defined by Jaws. Oh, no, you know? absolutely. If there's a, if there's well, a, I mean, there's a TV series that comes out about sharks, you know, it's just not going to be the same thing. Deadliest Cat, we all love Deadliest Cat, it's cool. <laughs> it's just not quite the same thing, right? You know? I know. Well, that's why if you, if, when you read my chapter, that's why I use that, at Captain Quint, I used the uh, I used yeah, that right, monologue. Right. It, I mean, it, it was a perfect it was a perfect time. I wanted to ask you something, brave man, John, brave man. I I, <laughs> it, it, I was a brave man, and with my New York accent, I really nailed the Robert Shore piece right down to the. I mean, it was it it, it was mind blowing in many ways. Um, so I want to kind of change gears just a little bit because um, yeah. I had a couple other questions I wanted to ask. So I heard in 2024, um, four years from now, the Oscars are going to be including new criteria for best picture eligibility. And you know what I told a friend of mine? I said, well, that sounds rather interesting. <laughs> and I said, and I said, it's hard to know 
what this is going to mean for award shows. I mean, is this going to usher in a whole new wave of different films <laughs> that we've never seen before? I don't, I'm not really sure how this is all going to play out. You're, you're, you're talking about the, the diversity initiative in the audience. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds about that because, you know, obviously, I mean, on the, on the one hand, I kind of, on the one hand, I kind of like it because I'm a film critic. I love Hollywood. I love the movies. Uh, I love the Oscars. And I, you know, I, I want movies to still be important. I want people to care about movies and the Oscars. You know, I, 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 I want it to be important to everyone that there's, uh, that there's diversity and inclusion in the movies because we still think the movies matter. Um, right. I'm not so sure they do, but I, I like, <laughs> like the idea. Um, you know, on the other hand, um, and, you know, and I think, and I think the, the goal is a noble one. Um, you know, you do look at the amount of um, female directors out there, and there you know, pretty much aren't any. You're seeing more now. Um, but for you know, years and years and years and years, there were just zero. Um, and, you know, same with uh, black actors on screen, you know, and there's, and there's, you know, I always get an email from somebody when I write about this kind of stuff. I always get an email from someone saying like, well, I'm not prejudiced against black actors on screen. I like Sidney Poitier. I like Denzel Washington. Um, right. and I always think like, yeah, well, you know, as soon as there's, as soon as there's one super humanly gifted black actor who you simply can't ignore because he's so freaking charismatic and talented that he just blows everybody else off the screen, then... That guy, you know, we'll let that guy in. Right. Um, but, you know, so big deal, right? Thanks. You know, thanks for letting in Sidney <laughs> Poitier. But, um, you know, so the diversity thing, I think, is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good idea. I, I do question the idea of telling artists how to make their movies and how to cast their movies and who to hire and what they have to include before they'll be eligible for a best picture. You know, it's, it's a slightly strange idea to me to say, hey, if you have an idea and a vision as an artist, well, we're going to give you a long list of um, oh. social, con social constrictions and demands that you have to meet before we will consider your film be worthy of our award. Right. That sounds weird to me. You I, know, I, I think it weird too. I mean, it's an author, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a slightly weird idea to me. I mean, you know, check here, initial here, initial here, check here, sign here, check this, you know, and, you know, and right. again, you're trying to make a movie and you're looking at a 46 page document um, to make sure that you've got all your T's, crossed and your eyes dotted and right and right. and and, the, and the, the goal is to make a great movie it's not to it's not to have to win an award you i mean if that if that happens that happens i mean there have been hundreds or thousands of great movies that have never that never won major awards that i i personally like and um sure. th that's really the ultimate goal um but i but uh, let me let me tie something else in. Um, yeah. Who are you seeing as a kind of maybe a breakout actor, a breakout director, right now? Anybody that that you maybe one or two people on the acting side or the directing side that uh, has caught your eye as of recent? Oh boy, 
um, I mean, everything's gotten to be such a standstill right now. I mean, you know, nobody's... nobody's well, even before the pandemic, is somebody that you've been watching yeah. or somebody you've been admiring, maybe, or... I mean, um, you know, boy, I'm trying to really rack my brains and think. Um, you know, and some of the people I would come up with that are, that are you know, that, are, that have been making a buzz are, are people that I think, you know, everyone kind of knew about. You know, the Safdie brothers, uh, you know, who did Uncut Gems. That, that, was, a real, that was a real breakout for them. Um, um, Charlie Plummer, uh, that really young actor um, who was in this movie called Lean on Pete. I think he's got a really interesting thing going on. Okay. Um, I haven't seen him in anything terribly recently but again that's because everything's been sort of right tables thrown out the window yeah. and it's it's hard yeah it's hard for people to, i think to get any any kind of traction right now um other directors or writers boy it's hard for me to it's hard for me to think of somebody and i don't i don't want to be the idiot that says there's this kid named timothy chalamet who I think <laughs> but, right, right right you know it's hard for me to think of somebody else who's been kind of bubbling under the radar because you know, for the last six months, I've been watching, you know, kind of, you know, Netflix junk and, and right. these kind of, you know, these, these kind hey, of... Hey, you have two kids. You're you're hooked into the uh, the living space oh where you God. are. Oh, oh, yeah. No, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's hard for me to think of someone that's really kind of broken out. I mean, it's been, it's been six months since I've seen a movie on the big screen. You know, I think the last time I saw a movie, I think the last time I went and saw a screen was... Bloodshot or something like that. Oh, the wow. movie. It was just. It was just. It was. It was so long ago. You know. Um, so I'm sorry. Well, no, that's okay. I, I was just curious. I mean, you did throw a couple of names out there, but. Um, I did have one last question. I know this is going to be probably a funny yeah. question, but. I mean, you've been doing the critic side for the music and film for some time. What about? Have you ever thought yourself of venturing into this space? Is it maybe like a screenwriter or? A, um, I mean, you do a lot of writing and you do know a lot of music and film. I mean, it's not, it's not a stretch to, to wonder, Hey, you know, I, I could, this movie would have been better if I wrote it or, um, I don't know. I mean, I, it, sure. it, it, it sounds like a, a legitimate question to ask, a, a, a entertainment journalist. Totally. No, of course. Um, you know, they say, uh, they say every critic is a frustrated filmmaker and I think there's certainly a grain of truth in that. Um, but I also think critics, you know, become critics because they, they love the medium and they love movies generally. They don't, I don't think anyone got into it to, you know, just to make a career out of bashing people. But yeah, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've, I've, cer I've certainly dabbled. I've written a couple projects. I have some, uh, some friends who, um, are also amateur screenwriters. I've collaborated with, with a couple, uh, a couple of them on projects just for the fun of it. Um, you know, I can dig out my, I can dig out my headshot. I mean, if you, if you need, um, you know, towel boy by the pool, I think I can handle that. I just, I, I just need at least seven words so I can keep my SAG card, you know, so, but. That's exactly right. That's exactly all right. I'll think of you. I'll think of you. When I don't give me any five and under. I, I need seven, I need seven words. You know, I, I, I need to make a presence, but. Well, you do full John, if you do for a phone call, I got some. I got some. I got some. I'm, I'm mostly sidle. I don't do. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and and when you see that dad bot in action, you'll think twice about ever even considering me. But um, so you have that. You're, so, you're not what we're looking for, John. Thanks. Next. <laughs> but you have. So you have thought about it. It's that's interesting. And I. Yeah. Sure. 
And I'm, I'm it's fun. It's fun to do. It's fun. It's fun to you know uh, read a, a friend's screenplay and give them some notes and hash out some ideas. And it's you know it's uh, yeah, it's fun. It gives you a little gives you a little a little uh, a little amateur idea of what it must be like to be a professional and, and really be out there and trying to make something cool. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good to know that. All right, Rafer. I think I've got everything that I need for my podcast. As you know, we don't like right. podcasts to go for two and a half hours. We'll save that for a lunch one day. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, Rafer. Well, listen, thank you so much. Um, Rafer Guzman yeah, here from Newsday. And thank you um, for your insights. And I hope we get those movies back on. I'm, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't watch the little screen anymore. I know, I know. Me too, me too. Believe me, I'm dying to go back to the movies. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to die because I went back to the movies, <laughs> but I'm dying to go back. <laughs> All right. Well, you take care, and we will we will recontact. We will we will uh, get back together at some point in time. All right. You bet, John. All right. Thanks, Rafer. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was Rafer Guzman from the film critic from Newsday with some very interesting insights and we will touch base soon. I will try to play you out here with a little music that I did um, recently. Um, Take care. Be safe. Be well.